turn that it counted off. Me, it counted, it, well, the metronome wasn't on. It just counted me in, which I was like, honestly, really kind of chill. I I don't really need a count in here. There's no downbeat to the. I mean, there's kind of a downbeat, but we should write some. No, never mind. Anyway. <laughs> So I was gonna say we could we could write some musical numbers for the podcast, but I musical numbers? What do you think this is? I don't Off know. Broadway show? It could be anything we want it to be. Is the thing? All right, no. But we don't want it to be a podcast musical. We've decided right now. Yeah, that's not on the table today. Um, so this is Ninth Hold, episode four. And it's called, um, What is Funny? What is funny? I can't believe this is episode four. I just, I can count, and this is the fourth one. You said that, and it shocked me as you said it out loud. Yeah, it should, because the other day, Erin, my friend Erin, posted a meme in her Instagram story, and we were fighting about the content, and she was like, bitch, I said one and five, and I was looking at the fourth one, and I was like, I know. And she was like, wait, can I not count? And I was like, no, actually, I can't count. Yeah, it's hard. So that was a really confusing story, but moral of the story is I literally cannot count. <laughs> if you but... give me a lot of things and there are five of them, I will be like, I don't know how many are there. <laughs> but I think you have counted the number of Ninth Hold episodes accurately. This is the fourth well, episode. Is it the fourth or is it the fifth? Is it like four-ish? Oh, four-ish. Four Let's go with four-ish. Um, so how are you? How was your day? How is everything? I'm doing great. My day was fine and normal. <laughs> I believe you. <laughs> My day was fine and normal. I don't have that much to report, honestly. Okay. I have... Okay. I know you and I typically like to... Chit chat a little bit about current events, but I have just been tuning out from current events for the past <laughs> week. Honestly, I think I just hit a place where I decided everything is gonna happen the way it's gonna happen, and I'm gonna take a little bit of downtime and not be plugged into the news or right. Twitter as much. So I've just been doing my thing, hanging out. All is good. How was your day? Um, it was fine. It's been like. I know, talking about the weather. Talk about a small talk convention topic. <laughs> Thank you, Portlandia. But yep. no, it literally is pouring down rain and has been like gusting winds all day. And it's Oof. just been like, I know, really intense. But speaking of the news, um, oh shit, I just broke my pen. I can't, I gotta not touch shit while we're recording. Anyway, <laughs> I like break things, drop <laughs> things. Like, oh my God, it's out of control. Yeah. Anyway, um, but speaking of the news, uh, there were like, like the CIA, would they fucking confirm UFOs? And everyone was just like, "We don't have time for that right now." <laughs> right, I did see that. We had a nice little text thread going with Josh. Yeah, but here—that's the only news I've really absorbed this week. That's all I have a stomach for to be like, okay, right, sure, yeah, extraterrestrials. All right, yeah, I, fine, I'll allow it. I know. <laughs> okay, I completely um, agree. That's all yeah, I want to hear about. That doesn't even bother me at this point. Bring it no, on. No, I'm just like, cool, what could, What else? <laughs> yeah. Tidal wave? Volcano? Mm-hmm. Oh, actually, Erin sent me, I don't know this, again, Erin is, you guys don't know her, or maybe you do, but she is like, 
one of she's really wild and like wonderful and funny to me but she uh sent me a screenshot of a tweet that was like something about like scientists figured out like lava can kill coronavirus and we were just like mm, yep yeah what can't lava kill let's Who burn it all down that? yeah yeah <laughs> they're like so we've been working with pharmaceuticals and bacteria and other viruses but like this crazy guy in the corner is just like, but what about lava? Mm. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, okay, you can put out your lava report. I don't know, that's probably not what happened. <laughs> lava but, report, yeah, that's But genius. actually, I do need to make a correction. I've noted this in our shared mood board because I don't, honestly, I don't know what I said. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I know what I said, but I don't know what I said. I maybe have, I maybe said that this Walter, Walter, right? Whatever his last name is, produced multiple Savage Garden albums. And by multiple, I mean both of them, the right. two that there are. However, yeah. the first one was produced by Charles Fisher, except the last song, Santa Monica, which was produced by the band themselves. So I just wanted to make a quick, I just wanted to address that, that I was wrong because I was really amped about yeah. The producer on the second album. You know what? I appreciate that. Really and really we're matter. we are yeah, it doesn't really matter because I it mean, matters it to does me matter. to be right. It, okay, yeah, thank you. It does matter. It matters. Me. We wanna we wanna keep it keep our facts checked around here. We're not just no fake spouting news, off man. random info. We're we're trying yeah. to have a have a through line, etc. So yeah, so here we are. Remember, we said we're okay being wrong, and I, I read back through my facts. I fact checked myself after the fact, which was stupid. Fact, fact check I, yourself after the fact, bro. Yeah, bro. Just just backtrack. Check yourself <laughs> after the fact. That's my rap. That anyway, Amazing. so. Great job, Charles Fisher, on that first album because that's the one that really did did the brunt of the work. You know, yeah. took a lot of that and did a lot of work. Anyway, yeah. So I just wanted to update that. Oh, and then one other note. I mean, we're probably gonna say this band's name again, or this it's gonna come up. But mm-hmm. I just want to say that their song that I had never heard before that I urge you all to listen to. It's called "All Around Me." That is fully a country song. It is for Shania Twain. That's all I'm going to say about it. It's amazing. Yeah. That was my only other note. (laughs) I mean, truly, madly, deeply, whenever I listen to that song and watch that video, I, it's, it's so country. Yeah. I don't know how to explain it beyond that. It just is. (laughs) It just is. And I think, I think I actually had this thought. The other day, I was thinking about Australia as an entire continent because let's be honest, it's a continent, mm-hmm. right? It is. It's yeah, like a whole, it, it absolutely is a continent, yes. <laughs> anyway, I was thinking, like, they're, like, they wear, like, cowboy hats and stuff. Mm-hmm. They, like, do horses and whatever, so it's not that odd. Right. No. They, like, we're all the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's the outback. The Australian outback, as they say. I'm, like, biting my tongue right now. Anyway. Outback <laughs> steakhouse. <laughs> and saloon no that's texas <laughs> texas steakhouse and saloon texas never tasted so good wow that's a, jing- that's a jingle that is embedded in my mind um anyway moving right along from steakhouses 
<laughs> so our topic today, I said it was what is funny, but we really are just going to go down the list of steakhouse franchises. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's I'm good. Joking, that's... but there is Outback. There is Texas. <laughs> there are others. Ruth's Chris. Yeah, Ruth's Chris. You're right. What's Chris the Ru- What's the one in Williamsburg right by Baby's All Right? What's that one called? The Steakhouse? Yeah. I don't know. Ugh, I see it every time and think, I don't want to go there. But I also don't (laughs) eat steak, so there's no reason I would go there. But, well, I gotta look it up. What's that called? (laughs) You are this week's I feel like, oh, Peter Luger. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. We have no business in there. <laughs> we don't. I just, yeah, we don't. If I ever go there, if we, we no, if one of us goes there, the other one has to, and we have to dress like businessmen. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, you're so right. But we have to wear fake mustaches. We have to, we have to look like we're in disguise. Next Not time. Not like yeah. disguises, but like we're true, like those glasses with the mustaches just, and the noses. Just straight up the Blues Brothers. <laughs> You're, actually, that's much better. <laughs> Wait, I, next time I visit New York, we should really do that. That would be really funny. I mean, we have to now. All six of our listeners are holding us accountable. <laughs> we'll go live when we do that so that you can all, all be there with us. I hope you know I would do that. I know you would. I maybe wouldn't <laughs> be as enthusiastic to do that. But if, you know, you catch, <laughs> catch me on the right day, who knows what could happen. Perfect. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Speaking of businessmen, emphasis on the men. Uh oh. Uh oh no. <laughs> oh dun, no. We <laughs> gotta start putting in little sounds like that to this oh, podcast. Please don't encourage me. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I love Foley. Effect. Like I'll just put. I'll put freaking footsteps in. I'll put car horns. I will put. I will put whoopee cushions. I want the really. Jaws, the Jaws song to play. You want the theme song from Jaws? Yeah. That's just a song. I can put that in. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, yeah, I guess Name that's some pretty. other shit. Name some other like a train going by. Uh huh. Um, dogs bur- barking. Yeah, a bird. Baby in the background. Babe. <laughs> Baby's breathing? <laughs> screaming. Oh. <laughs> I don't want either of those things in our podcast, but okay. What about just like random audience cheers? Yeah, that that I like a clap track. Or uh, jeers. Is it what is a jeer? Jeer is like a boo. Okay, great. Those two. <laughs> I'll just I'll just do that when you talk. <laughs> That's so mean. <laughs> Get off the stage. Get her out of here. <laughs> I'll do like tomato sounds every time. You talk. <laughs> I thought I thought you were about to say I'll do tomato salads. <laughs> that <too. laughs> tomato sounds just a splat on my head. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Damn. Well, now I have to do all of that, and you know that I will. Tough in this crowd. Podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm down, honestly. Whatever. That's actually so perfect for what we're talking about. I know. Wait, you were about to say something about <laughs> businessmen, and then we got really Men. sidetracked. <laughs> I don't even know how we got there. Peter Luger. I don't know. <laughs> so the music industry 
uh, entertainment industry as a whole, the world as a whole, is really behind on um, giving women credit on anything. Mm, yeah, right. <laughs> like, science is really late on it. History in general yeah. is late giving women credit for things that they discovered or did or oh, did well. Oh, yeah, obviously. Um, but <laughs> I was curious about who in the history of time has won the Grammy for producer of the year for non-classical music. And I hate to break this news to all of you listening, but I'm sure most of you could guess no woman has ever won that award mm-hmm. for producer of the year at the Grammys, which can't be right <laughs> in what was 45 years that can't be right am i no 35 years what 75 45 years right it's 2020 now so 45 yeah yeah in 45 years no woman has produced an album good enough to win i don't think so Mm -hmm. and this is a perfect segue into what you wanted to talk about which one which thing the the deborah dugan yeah, double yeah. bad. Yeah, double bad. I mean, we were just talking before we recorded about how, um, just about how Deborah Dugan resigned from the Recording Academy. I mean, I, I don't even remember if she actually resigned or if she was fired. This woman, Deborah Dugan, who was the president of the recording, or the CEO and president of the Recording Academy was just kind of ousted from that entire community. It's just crazy. I go and look at her Twitter or just try and find information about this, and it's impossible to find anything anywhere. She hasn't said anything since this all happened. And... It's everything is just so inconclusive around it. And I feel like I just feel like it's all so obvious that something just exactly like we're saying, people are men were pressured to give women more opportunities. But whenever women are there occupying that space and taking that opportunity, they suddenly have to flip it on its head out of their fear of the unknown in the situation, and I think we're going to go into this a lot. I would like to go into this a lot today about how, what is funny and how people react to things that they are uncomfortable or unfamiliar with in a way, with humor sometimes as a way to cope with that. But I think this situation with Deborah Dugan is also a pretty significant example of a reaction to something that was uncomfortable and incongruent with what people were used to and is sad for me as a woman in the entertainment industry to see people see women get to this point in their career where they really are able to make change and able to have a voice that resonates beyond themselves and can help make it a more inclusive space but then are pushed out of the boys club because people don't think they belong there. So there's a, there is an opportunity there for an institution like that to really start promoting change in a real way. And yeah, I don't know what happened there. I don't know what to say, but I have no, I don't know, but 
It's really fucked up. Whatever it is. Yeah. Obviously something fishy <laughs> doesn't just happen. It doesn't. Well, the, I think the issue lies in how it perpet how the voting cycle perpetuates itself. You have to have a certain number of credits. You have to have a mm -hmm. certain number of like uh, work done and like accredited like studios, not studios. You have to have a certain number of credits and like a legitimate yeah status and standing and in the. The issue is that pe I don't. I have no idea what the fucking issues are with the Grammys. I really don't care. I right. genuinely don't. Mm -hmm. But I. That's. I imagine part of what she was saying is that they continue to perpetuate the same shit because the same people are the only people getting these credits. Mm -hmm. That's probably just like a, a microscopic. That's like anyone could guess that. It's not. That's like public information. Yep. It's not, like, openly... I don't know if it's openly available, if you can see who can vote, but you could guess. Like, only a certain number of people reach voting tier, so... Right. They're the ones who are responsible. Yeah. And it's not like we can see the votes. We have no idea. Yeah. set up. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think this goes back to a few different conversations you and I have had over the past week leading up to this conversation about just the music industry and the entertainment industry generally and how how do people get that level of um how do people get that level of recognition from the recording something like the recording academy and obviously every every different industry or every different specialization gives out recognition similarly to that and where where do people what are people look seeking to validate and are they is what they're trying to have validated actually worthy of it or is it something that they have sort of scrapped together and an unethical way sometimes maybe or I don't know. yeah I mean there I don't know that's again that's a whole other conversation about how how this content is created and what is being rewarded about it and is it worthy of that in the first place and how did it come to, how did it come to be in the first place because I think I think that there's really something to be said about that. How, what is the process of creating a piece of art? Is it, is it coming from a sincere and perspective, or is it something that you're trying to repurpose in a way that is not necessarily um, super commendable always? And I think, I think that. The more you and I talk it through and think about what type of behavior is considered good and what is not so good or maybe could use a little work, um, the more I realize that it's really the process that sort of needs to be examined and needs to be rewarded from my perspective and not so much just like the, the outcome from it necessarily. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, 
That's mm. that's the hot take on the music industry for today, I guess. <laughs> for now. That's all. I mean, I just have nothing to add to the Grammys conversation. I don't know. Yeah. I like I don't I really don't care. I'm going to we can invent our own awards show. I don't like I'm down. best original best original song, something that no one's ever heard of because I said so. Mhm. Yeah. Best original song. Um, I want you by Savage Garden. <laughs> Se- uh, 27, 24 years later. Oh, <laughs> that's that's the winner. I don't care. I literally don't give a shit. I, <laughs> like, know. I, I would award songs. I would award. I would give the award to "I Want to Be Your Lover" by Prince as for best original song of twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that song is like. Two, less than two minutes long, I think. <laughs> like, right. until it just goes into a disco outro meant for remixing. And I still think it's better. <laughs> like, than, than, like, anything I've ever heard in my life. So... I know. That's why the Grammys don't mean anything to me. <laughs> yeah. Because, like, the exactly. music I hear on there, I'm like, what, like... I don't know about you guys, but I've been listening to Savage Garden ad, ad nauseum uh-huh. for like two weeks straight. No, and I anytime I hear new pop music, I'm just like, this is not good. Like I this, know. it sounds like it's trying really hard. It like, ha- everyone's doing this thing now where they're like breaking up the beat in like weird ways and you like si- using silence in the wrong ways. Cause like silence and music. It's, re- it's equally as important as sound. So using space, I'm not here to say that, like, it's weird to completely, like, drop out in space and put space in a pop song. Mm-hmm. But, like, not commercial pop. Like, you just, like, can't, unless it's, like, a like a grand pause, which yeah. is amazing <laughs> in pop music. Right. When it's, that's, like, a literal musical term. It's, like, in composition you write like these two parallel lines on like a diagonal and that means Mm -hmm. like everyone stops and you just like hear the piece of music breathe and it's like a it's like everyone takes this giant breath and then it like pretty much everything comes right back in after that usually or it's just so like because the either the harmonies are so dense like that it'll make if it's a nice hall it'll make the whole ring and Mm -hmm. that's kind of what that's for but like we're not listening to new pop music in a in a a hall, okay? Like we're not, we don't need these like weird pop. I don't know. I'm going on a tangent. No, but it's just I, like I think you're important right. Important to me. No, <laughs> that, I think like it's none true. of this music sounds as good as like any like. I, I'm. It's so subjective. I know, but to me, I like. I cannot imagine listening to anything that came out in 2019, 18, no, 2010s. And comparing it in that space to, like, I don't want to get back into our conversation from last week. But, yeah, I'm just having a hard time well, with that. <laughs> yeah, I think I think there's something real there. And I think what it is, in part, is that the philosophy behind creating and putting out music today versus what it was in the time you're talking about with Prince as a specific example, is so incredibly different in a way that is just oversaturated and people are trying to 
grab your attention with their song oh, in a way that the is... loudness wars man we yeah can thank our, we can thank our vi- favorite mixing engineer for that but that's a different conversation but yeah that's a real phenomenon is the loudness war and like the like being avant-garde but being like relatable those are you can't be both <laughs> right yeah you and can't. that whenever i hear a lot of new music and I don't, I don't want us to come across like we're grandmas and we don't we're not. get with new music because we do like a lot of new music. We listen to new music a lot and share it. And I listen to new music with a lot of my friends and there's a lot of great music out there. I do. I will say that. Um, I'm talking I, about a specific genre. I'm talking about commercial pop music that right. is like what like major labels are bankrolling. Oh, for That's, 100%. That is all I'm talking about is like what I was playing off of like what you were saying about how like what is this for? Who's making this? What yeah. is the point? Is this are you making this so you can win a fucking Grammy? Or are you making this because like it sounds good? Totally. To totally. Like, it's just like it, it. it's just like <laughs> brute force music. Yeah, it's so aggressive. I'm like, Ugh. get it out of my head. <laughs> I don't yeah, want... I know. And no, we're not old at all. I mean, I, I love, there's a Katy Perry song that I like, you know, eat, slept, <laughs> ate, slept, and breathed yeah. for like weeks it's called never really over and oh my god guess what that song has in common with savage garden she talks sings really fast and that's probably why i like it yeah holy shit there you go damn well we just broke that down in two seconds (laughs) but anyway that song like disrupted my life and i'm so and that song i think is from 2019 Mm -hmm. so like I'm open to being disrupted by new shit. That's not the problem. That song is actually amazing, and everything about it is good. But yeah. I, she's also Katy Perry. She's Katy Perry. That's her job, is to be amazing. So yeah. anyway, I was just trying to figure out how I, how I could contribute to your comment. About no, yeah, no. Process. And all <laughs> I, I just wanted to communicate to the audience that we are not just these old people in caves who are saying we don't like new music because that's I really not... don't think anyone thinks that. No, that would be that's... really bizarre. <laughs> that would be bizarre, but that's just not... yeah, like we we are still I, I mean yeah, there's there's pop music I have heard. Uh, I can't really put my finger on anything specific like you just did with the Katy Cold Perry Coldplay. You oh, love that song. <laughs> yeah, something just like this Coldplay and the chain 20, smokers. The chain smokers. I almost said Twenty One Pilots, but Coldplay oh, and the chain smokers. That song is epic. It's huge. It it brings up every emotion in me. Like just let's let's be victorious, you know. That song um, is buying macaroni and cheese drunk at 3 a.m. And it is also <laughs> driving into Vegas at 11 a.m. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That but song is is everything. It, it is. is all sides of the thing. So. It's true. So, yes, there there are songs that, that come around every once in a while that are really exceptional. But not even to call that Coldplay song an exceptional uh, song. It is exceptional. You're right. So. It is. It's so undeniable to me. <laughs> Do not backtrack. That's when I hear when I hear that little like 
beginning part and he's like been reading books of old I'm like so old books so you've been reading old books I know it's so <laughs> like good. I mentally want to correct Chris Martin and be like sir sir why are you talking like a Star Wars character <laughs> like, yeah just let him have it roll he can it back do whatever he wants <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> but anyway, Why do yes. you sound like a fucking Middle Earth creature? <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Chris Martin. Oh, oh, we love Chris Martin in this house. We really do. Um, Didn't you just watch the Viva La Vida video? Yeah, I watched it last night for the first so time. Night. First time? Oh. I don't think I'd ever seen it before. I was listening. I don't remember. Viva La Vida came up in a conversation I was having. And I thought to myself, I don't think I've ever seen this music video. Let me go look. And I looked, and he's an oil painting, I think. (laughs) Sounds right. Sounds like something someone really high would come up with. Yeah. It was was fine. Yeah, where do we even start? What's funny? What's not funny? I know I have a lot of feelings about things that like that that aren't funny and like you said maybe that wasn't necessarily trying to be but I still feel like there are a lot of things that people sort of cloak in humor to disguise a malintention or um, some sort of manipulation they're trying to um, just pull over on people and is something like that actually funny or is it is it just a total ruse, you know? Well, humor, as as I've read in my research for this, uh, is a social phenomenon, which is important, I think. Because I was thinking about, like... Like, why, why would Saturday Night Live have a live studio audience if not so that they could actually capture people laughing um, because for the audience at home, that laughter helps confirm the punchline. It's like, why does any show have a live audience, you know? Yeah. It's to confirm, it's to that, like, it's so that the punchlines hit harder. Um, right. Without it being like, you know, I don't know what that funny, like not all shows have studio audiences. It's not, it's not required for every mm-hmm. type of, like, media but I think with with anything that's bite-sized going for a joke building to a joke um you need that community to kind of advise a little bit Mm -hmm. on this shared experience and also I mean laughing at the same thing kind of confirms that we all agree on something and it's so awesome to laugh at the same thing as somebody else like when you first meet someone, I mean, to me, the most attractive thing about a person, I mean, obviously the way they look, hello. Not that like everyone needs to have the same sense of humor for me to like them. It's fine. But I think that a quick way for me to know if I'm going to get along with someone is if we can vibe and laugh like right away. Right. And it just to me says that we share the same values because our brains crave that same rush of like dopamine that yeah like that confirms that we have noticed the same things uh on earth that relieve us <laughs> like because yeah. because laughing is a relief laughing and humor and comedy are all 
reflections of the real world and usually as like what parody or hyperbole or um irony irony or as like i don't i don't think puns are funny but Mm -hmm. some people do and like puns really light people's brains up sometimes you know Mm -hmm. so any of that kind of stuff where you can like share it with other people and they understand the same things as you and see the it's like knowing that someone sees the world the same way you do or like in very similar ways yeah and just kind of validate a relationship I think I completely agree I think it I think that's all spot on I also think it has a lot to do with a shared experience and whenever somebody laughs at something that's maybe referential to something else that that you have experienced and you have are coping with with humor or something that says a lot whenever someone else has a a similar experience to you and you're able to bond over that I mean I think going back to kind of what I was saying about what is not funny it's it's in that sort of shared experience and that coping that sometimes you use humor as a mechanism for. Um, I think a lot of the times when things aren't funny, it's it's because of some sort of power differential that exists where whenever, whenever you're mismatched on what's funny and what's not, I think it's also interesting to think about what that means and and where that discomfort is coming from. I was telling you the other day about how <laughs> so funny but whenever I was in high school I worked at a <laughs> restaurant on the beach in Florida where I lived and I remember I was I was working as a hostess and I I mean for anyone listening who doesn't know how this works or maybe has never worked at a restaurant before as a hostess the guests go into the restaurant, obviously, and greet the hostess. And the hostess <laughs> oh, says, "Oh, is that how restaurants work?" Okay, okay, got it. Yes, I just like people to... go into the restaurant. <laughs> exactly, people go into the restaurant. The hostess says, "How many for dinner?" The people say, two for dinner." And then the hostess finds the table for two that is available for them to eat at. And then the hostess <laughs> proceeds to walk these people to their table. And they note what table they took the people to and tell the server what table to go to to serve the people. It's very straightforward. But it can be hard whenever you're a hostess and there's so many people coming in and it's rush hour and all the tourists are in town. So I got a little bit mixed up once. And I think I maybe told a server the wrong table and then some people were sitting and waiting and not being served in a timely fashion and my manager came over and talked to me and reprimanded me for not relaying the right information and I just remember in this moment laughing so much like uncontrollably whatever she was reprimanding me about this and I remember it to this day because it was so out of character and just I didn't know what else to do And I think there is some real truth to laughter and interpreting something as funny whenever you're in an uncomfortable situation and don't know what to say and are are feeling so many things and having so many thoughts but don't have the capacity to communicate that. 
accurately in in that setting. And I I think I think there's just a lot to humor in that way too. And something we were talking about earlier that I thought was really interesting that you brought up was the sort of salience that comes along with recognizing something that's funny. Yeah, let me read this quote. That's like a really good quote. And I I think it's really important because I I was really focused on that. I really, when I was studying all of this and reading about it, because I, a while ago, I had read a lot about uh, laughter and I wanted to understand because I, I don't know. I, I was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how many years ago it was. It was a couple of years ago. I was just thinking about laughing and I Googled something and an article came up at the time. And I, I remember I clung to the information in it and it was basically like a, a certain ape or type of ape uses laughter to relieve a potential hostile situation within a group because um, mm-hmm. in in the primate community i'm probably butchering what actual hierarchy is ape in animals usually when they show their teeth like dogs or apes it's a threat mm-hmm. um but when it's coupled with laughter i'm not a fucking zoologist but what i read no. is that the laughter <laughs> alleviates the stress and tension and just to go off of that, I wrote down um, three animals that use laughter as like a type of a, a laughter-like vocalizations in response to contact in order to evoke that it's play and not aggression. Mm. So apes will do laughter-like vocalizations in response to contact such as wrestling or play play chasing or tickling. Mm-hmm. Rats emit ultrasonic calls during rough play when tickled by humans. Mm. Um, and in 2004, which I thought was like, you know, quote unquote recent, in 2004, Swedish researchers noticed new sounds they hadn't heard before in dolphins when they, or they emit the sound when they're play fighting. Mm. And I guess that they would qualify that as like laugh-like sounds. Sure. Um, but I read all of that and I thought it was interesting because we use laughter as a social cue that we are we are alleviating tension and then of course there's this some cases where people use laughter to diminish uh others and like you were probably touch you'll probably touch on this later like um to marginalize people or amp not i don't want to say amplifier or like highlight differences in a negative way right but um, I, I read that humor seems to engage a core network of cortical and subcortical structures involved in detecting incongruity, which is defined as mis- a mismatch between expected and presented stimuli, and the mesocorticolimbic dopaminergic system and the amygdala, which are key structures for reward and salience processing. If you look at just the last part about reward and salience processing, I, so salience, if I didn't know what it meant before this, is a quality that makes an item stand out from its neighbors. Mm-hmm. So if we think about that in comedy, my first, the first thing I thought of was the Lawrence Welk sketch with Fred Armisen, I believe. I mean, mm-hmm. I hope I'm not. It's Fred, right? And the four sisters or three or four sisters or whatever. And you meet like the first couple of sisters and they're like, I'm so-and-so. And they're like dancing and they're beautiful. And then all of a sudden Kristen Wiig comes with her baby hands. Mm-hmm. And like we acknowledge that that's hilarious because she fits in 
but our brains acknowledge like and reward us for processing like that's different like that's not what I was expecting or like that she stands out from the rest so like our brains are wired to do so many things we don't even understand but just like that one little piece of knowledge knowing that we seem apparently we process humor in an area that rewards us for acknowledging differences Mm. I mean that is just like that's amazing that's so wonderful and I don't know why the first thing I thing I thought of was that Lawrence Welk sketch it's just to me is so perfect to kind of address because I I mean imagine if we couldn't process that she was different like and why like we could see that she was different we could acknowledge the incongruencies with like Kristen Wiig's character Mm -hmm. but but if our brain didn't reward us for addressing those differences. Because you, in the moment when you're watching that, she's dressed pretty much the same. She's a woman. She's white. But she has a giant prosthetic forehead and yeah. little baby hands. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure, like, she's making a crazy face. So, she like, is. yeah, your brain rewards you for acknowledging those micros. They're not microscopic. They're bold but those differences yeah you receive like a dopamine rush for being like oh I can not only do I enjoy this but it's it's different and I like it right yeah I think that's an amazing observation because it doesn't have to be uh an uncomfortable thing to recognize difference and you don't have to feel like it's something that you need to be avoided of, you can, I think there's a, there's a way to really embrace that and humor as a specific example, the way to embrace it is not always to laugh at it and lean into humor. But I think, I think you can really embrace that response that your brain has to, to things that are different and, and encourage yourself to, continue to seek that information out and understand what feels different about it to you and and how to how to come to ease in it in a lot of ways I I think as we've been planning this conversation a bit it's made me think about how what is funny to people sort of changes and evolves throughout their lives there there are some things that I was exposed to when I was young that were funny and I still think they're funny, like certain movies, certain comedians, certain just general tropes, I guess. But um, I was reading something about teasing because I think I think being teased and having people tease you is one of those things where it's it's kind of a fine line. And I read something that was kind of interesting that said. Um, It has been suggested that perceptions of teasing and general change with age. For instance, while teasing among young children under five, teasing is said to be perceived as delightful. Among older children and teens, it is largely seen as a means of controlling others and demonstrating their superiority. So I think there's a lot of things like that where the interpretation of something that was once playful and light sort of evolves into something that isn't quite as obviously or not obviously funny and lighthearted um and I think I think there I think that just kind of ties into the conversation too 
And well, actually, before we go past that, I actually have something that's really relevant. So I was reading about humor. I read that, I mean, you could guess this, but young children obviously prefer um, slapstick comedy mm. more than older children and adults. And so the definition of slapstick comedy, like a super short way to describe it, is physical comedy that, exce- that, that exceeds the boundaries of normal physical comedy. It's usually somebody getting hurt or, like, it usually involves, like, ladders or, like, falling. Yeah, right. It's, like, usually somebody getting hurt. Think of, like, um, yeah. uh, the, um, God, uh, the Three Stooges. That right. is, like... Or, like, to- like, Tom and Jerry. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. usually people getting hurt. Anyway, I was just thinking about what you were saying about how young children find teasing amusing. It's because they're primitive. Kids are right. literal monsters until society <laughs> tells them no repeatedly. So, like, <laughs> no wonder they think violence is amazing when right. they're really little. Because if you if you were, I mean, I don't know, not all people. It's not. It's, this is not nature nurture evolution podcast, but. I think right. a lot a lot of people would probably agree that humans would be pretty fucking violent if we didn't have like a system of law, a system of values that's like yeah. in western countries is like pretty much agreed as the same like don't kill people. I'm pretty don't, sure that's the whole point. Don't hit people with hammers, you know, right. don't throw people out the window. Right. Anyway, I think it's pretty clear why kids think that slapstick comedy and teasing is funny. Like little right. kids, it's yeah, they don't know. They don't know that that hurts yet. They don't know, you know. They hardly understand the physical space they occupy. Why would they think? Why would they have the empathy to be like, maybe don't <laughs> hit someone with a hammer. Maybe don't make fun of someone's teeth or whatever. Right. You know, they have no idea. So they, yeah, that definitely all tracks. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think more the more I read about teasing specifically, the more I was finding about sort of a, a pro-social form of teasing versus an anti-social form of teasing, which is basically just an affectionate or playful mode of doing it versus a malicious or aggressive mode of doing it. And I think I think there's so many ways to just interpret that in the context of, well, in the context of everything, in the context of life, in the context of work, as you and I tend to harp on the entertainment and music industry, I know there have been countless situations for myself as a woman in music where I've been in a room of men who think something is really funny, but I don't think it's funny, and... How to navigate those situations is really complicated whenever you are trying to fit in and be a part of the camaraderie that exists in a business setting, but don't necessarily understand why something like that would be funny, whether it's, I mean, it's usually, I'm specifically referring to sexist comments or jokes that I've been around or heard people make or even just comments that are kind of laughed off because someone knows it maybe wasn't necessarily appropriate so then like I said earlier about whenever I was in my job and laughing in the discomfort it's 
there, I just feel like there are so many scenarios like that where humor and what is funny are used as an excuse and a sort of buffer to real issues that need to be addressed. And I feel like sometimes people don't know how to talk about it. So they use humor and what's funny as a means to sort of fill that and occupy that space. Do you mean like what you do you mean like you laughing you didn't know what to say so you were just laughing like I just I'm trying to like is that what you mean? Yeah right. Okay so like you were laughing because you didn't know what to do. Yeah I was laughing because I didn't know what to do and I knew I did something wrong and I didn't know how to rectify that in the immediate sense other than to laugh out of my discomfort and I think a lot of people do that it's Um, very like you can't help it when that happens you literally cannot help it mm -hmm. I I mean I don't that doesn't happen to me I I don't know if I wish it would but it doesn't (laughs) like I usually my my body immediately is like and now you cry (laughs) so Yeah, those so, are two very different ways of viewing it, but both valid, I think. No, that's that's a pretty normal physical response to things, too. I guess they're so just... So is laughing. They're both so natural and human. Yeah. And, I mean, I think another thing I've been reflecting on in this conversation we've been having is kind of just piggybacking off of what I was mentioning about the disparity between the different types of of funny and the different types of teasing and poking fun at things I I really think there's a big disconnect on the internet about this where I just feel like in cyberspace people are able to use their anonymity to hide behind what themselves and just laugh at things that are totally inappropriate or people are so tied up in their their online persona I guess that they that they just are are so attuned to what comes across to other people and how how they're perceived outwardly and what sort of having this ownership of what is funny. It just seems like there's a real dichotomy there online that is kind of interesting to me and how how different people lean into different things. And there's there's just a lot of inconsistency online versus in-person reactions to humor from my perspective. For me, it's more like what I was saying before about the bro culture specifically where it's it's men dictating what is funny and women having to react to it in certain social scenarios where where something's on the line and you need to react the right way to build the right rapport with people well you don't have to because those maybe are not your people I mean I know that's easier said than done of course but Mm -hmm. it's just like I think the way that changes is one, it just takes one person in every room every time to be like, hey man, that wasn't funny. And being right. okay with, with 
the potential repercussion of calling it out. I mean, I've been that person. I'm not going to go into, like, details, but sure. I, there have been situations where I'm in a work environment and somebody says something that is, like, blatantly sexist or just really overtly sexual and gross. Yeah. And I, I have no problem drawing a line and being like, hey, there are people around you who don't want to hear that or talk about that right now. Yeah. And if that pisses someone off, like, I don't care. I really, like, it, I'm not saying I'm, like, a hero. I'm literally not saying I have, like, I have no hero complex. I just have no time for that. Once people start practicing kind of, ha- like, being okay with um, the re- potential repercussions, I think people would be pleasantly surprised to find out how many people around them agree but just didn't, they didn't want to be the one to say it. Yeah. Again, easier said than done. Not everyone has the, I guess, comfort I do in in being like, hey, that was gross. Stop it. Mm, yeah. Um, I know that's not easy in, any, in all situations, especially if, you know, if you're trying to maintain some kind of status quo with someone. But again, my God, like, the, why would you want to with someone like that? Yeah, it's true. I think it goes back to what we've said in all our other episodes about mm-hmm. sussing out the people that bring out a good side of you and don't put you in that discomfort and in that place where you can feel yourself compromising something. I saw this tweet from a, a woman who was going on a rant about what is funny versus what's not funny and whenever people I don't think I knew that's where this came from I didn't know it came from a tweet yeah I saw a tweet that was it was really good and we will share it across our socials so you can see it out there too but it was this this woman just ranting about how whenever the oppressors are making fun of the oppressed are using people who are oppressed as the butt of the joke that that is a problem and people again to go back to the example of men using making sexist jokes or sexist comments and not seeing that that is an issue because women have been oppressed for years which even goes back to our conversation at the beginning of this episode about the Grammys and how women's ha- women have been underrepresented in the, all of those categories and on the boards and just in the music industry in general. That's why it's not okay and why it's not funny to joke about things like that because it, there are real implications from history as to why women have been oppressed and what that has amounted to in society as a whole and that we're obviously trying to catch up a lot on that and that is transferable to so many other social topics too this was just a specific example in this tweet and I think it is important to think about and talk about and hold the people around you accountable to about what they think is funny and how they react in these settings and what what sort of culture they're perpetuating in their in their engagement and participation in humor especially as it again pertains to the internet because that people are joking around all the time online and I think there's just 
there's a responsibility that we all need to hold each other to in order to keep everyone safe and keep everyone represented and keep everything equal because there is so much, like I said, catching up to be done for so many different social groups and people. And I I think it's, it's just a real conversation that I think is, I don't know. I was going to say, I think it's getting better, but I don't even know if I believe that. So it's, it's a work in progress, but I do think it's it's worth exploring and thinking about and kind of just assessing what what is funny and what isn't and what what does it mean whenever you're connecting with people on that basis of humor and how how are you reinforcing a side of yourself that you want to be promoting and building and just fostering versus things that sort of do drag you down in a weird direction. You and I were talking about meta perception, which is the way we imagine other people see us. And I do think there's, there's this sort of mirror, like we've talked about with people and humor, I think is a very significant mirror that whenever someone just throws a joke out there and someone else responds that's you saying okay we can meet here and we see each other in this way and I think I think there's just a lot to be gained from from recognizing that that is where you're coming from with it a lot of the time I mean obviously it is I love to just throw on a rom-com and laugh at Robin Williams or Adam Sandler or who Bill Hader obviously like whoever I think is so funny and lighthearted but I think there's a lot of nuance to getting to that that level of humor that resonates in that way just like we were talking about with the producers last week with pop music producers of the Ugh, 90s who can Don't hit even that. get me started on I'm, building a comedian's career. <laughs> yeah, but it's true. It's it's I think there's a, a lot of similarities and parallels there to people being exposed to what is funny generally for the population and really refining that in a way that is digestible and can be communicated in a healthy way and builds a sort of virtue or a moral stance on something in a way that is so effective honestly and it's like you were saying a little bit ago about people having that shared virtue by way of comedy and I think comedians specifically are are really masters of that of the craft of telling a story in a way that is impactful and sticks with you and helps you to see with clarity that yes there there was tension in that in that stand up routine or in that episode of something i watched or in that movie but i have a clear takeaway of why i felt that way and i i am able to see something a little differently now like there are people out there who literally study this shit like mm-hmm. literally and can tell you why like, why on a molecular level Robin Williams is a genius? Mm-hmm. Me, p- 
personally, I've watched every single stand-up that is available on the internet. I've read every single interview he's ever done. I've watched every single interview he's ever done, he'd ever done. He's like, he is everything to me. Mm -hmm. He is actually um, the reason I learned how to do voices. Like, he truly defined... um, like for me to find what is funny, I I don't I cannot think of another comedian in my formative years who really mapped it out. Right. But last year I read an, a biography on him that I mean we all love Robin Williams. I've made this speech time and time again trying to get people to read this biography because it is like I don't even know how many. It's like the size of a Bible. It's huge mm-hmm. because his life was so remarkable. The Everything he did was absolute chaos. <laughs> but he was like, he was like a runaway train on a rainbow. He was right. so <laughs> ma- like crazy, manic, wonderful. Um, but in the, the, one of the things I took out of, I mean, I wish I had like a closer connection to the book. I read it quite a, like a summer ago. Mm-hmm. But he, um, he grew up very isolated in a very affluent home where his dad was working all the time. His mom was not around a yeah. lot. And he grew up like in in his in his own zone, playing with his action figure toys by himself, creating voices for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of play taught him that kind of isolated play by himself taught him, I guess, a lot about himself. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying he wouldn't have been the genius he was without that isolated playtime, but I think that isolation is pretty interesting if, if you look at how not isolated we are now. Like, kids are connected to everything. Yeah. But um, that was, like, a, that's a really, again, small piece of, of I think, his genius, but... He is described in that biography a lot as being kind of out of his mind uh, and and really thinking so fast. And he went to Juilliard, and I don't think he completed his degree mm-hmm. there. I don't think he graduated, but he uh, wanted to act and wanted to be a comedian and wanted so badly to connect with people. And if you... Anyone listening, Aubrey, whomever, if you watch his early stand-up, he is sweating so profusely and is so hungry for that connection and that laugh and that, and like sharing that with a room full of people who are just understanding him and and it comes from such a deep place in him that it's so sad that he is not alive anymore. Yeah. It's so tragic for so many reasons, especially what happened to him. But anyway, he, yeah, it is. his entire life, I mean, all he wanted to do was connect yep. and have that human to human contact and have that, like, have humor be a vessel for him to reach people. Um, and I think to see that, in any other context used to hurt people and used as manipulation or control or to uh, alienate or marginalize is just 
mm-hmm. gross. Um, but yeah, I think Robin Williams is just incredible yeah. in every possible way um, as a talent. I don't think you have to be like a huge comedy fan or like a film, like a cinephile to be like interested in digging deeper into like what made him so special i think it's just like type in like robin williams stand up 1979 and you will find just like these brilliant sets of just a man like a young man wanting so badly to be accepted it makes me think of that video of Lisa Kudrow talking about the first time she performed at the Groundlings. I don't know if you I don't think I've that. seen it. Oh, wait. It's so it's Did so I? good. Probably, maybe maybe probably at some point, but it's basically just her saying that after her first performance at the Groundlings, she went home and just was in bed for 3 days because she felt so high from that experience of connecting Mm -hmm. so intensely with people in that way and afterwards she was just just completely shot and had to go like was flu like from it and I think I think it is really fascinating to think about that and like you're saying about Robin Williams and him just trying to form that connection and how hard it is sometimes you know, mm-hmm. and it is really hard to connect with with people in a one-on-one way even, but whenever you're opening it up to a, a crowd of hundreds of people and seeking that and getting that and landing it, that, that must be a pretty amazing feeling to... Yeah. I mean, it's similar with music, of course, but I think with humor and like I was saying, the story that you're trying to tell and that presence you're trying to convey. And I think the best comedians are really accessing a specific part of themselves that they're amplifying in a way to create comedy. And once, once you feel yourself accepted by a group of people or even one person on that level, it's it's really moving in a way that can clearly be physical sometimes too. And it's mm-hmm. it's just such a big statement. So yeah, there I I agree with you though. There there are good uses for comedy and ways to bring people together and there are ways that it's like people menacing to use yeah. it as like a like a control tactic. It's creepy and weird like it's it's like when you know when you're in middle school and like group of girls would be like your shoes are stupid because they look like they look like shoes for stupid people yeah and then like the whole crew laughs and you're just like well I guess fuck my shoes yeah sadly some people do that past middle school too (laughs) sadly they do it's just trying to maintain that control that people think that they are able to have, but they're actually not. You're a liar and a cheat, and you saw the paper. That's from Matilda. Sorry. There you go. <laughs> from all the way over here. <laughs> I love That's that. it. Matilda. Danny DeVito. We love Danny. We love Danny's cameo in The Virgin Suicides, which... That was a shocker. It was a shocker. 
but he's he's good in that little moment. I just I think him as Matilda's dad is really the best. That's his like one of his finest works. <laughs> he was born for that role. There's no doubt. Yeah. <laughs> Talk about a menace. Wow. I mean, at the end, you like her parents because they realize Miss Honey is the the real is her MVP. mom is her mom. <laughs> Miss Honey is my mom. <laughs> I didn't know she has a British accent in real life, or like she's not oh, really? American. Well, wait, because isn't it Sex in the City? Oh. She's on Sex and the City, and she's is she Natasha? Yeah, right. Oh, no, is wait. she? Is she? She's, she's on Sex and the City. She's in that in the one of the episodes uh, when they're I think at dinner or something. Wait. Um, but yeah, no. no um, Miss Honey's wait. definitely in. No, no. Wait. No, she's not in that. She is in. I am so off. She is in. She's in Bridget Jones' Diary. Is that the movie? Right. Yes. Okay. okay. And she is. She is the the boyfriend. The guy who makes fun of her in the beginning of the movie. He ends up dating Ms. Honey, and she is. I just remember her in like a rowboat scene, and like yeah. Yeah, Miss. You know what? It's all the same. It's all honestly very much the same. <laughs> <laughs> oh, imagine if she was in Sex and City. You know who is in Sex and the City? Justin Theroux. I know. Surprise. Yeah, okay. I like that episode he's in, or that little storyline. Um, no, but whoever, the actress who plays Natasha looks like the actress that plays Miss Honey. I'm going to look Maybe her Maybe that's up why I got lost. Yeah. Um, and I also just, is it called Bridget Jones' Diary? Am I saying that right? Yeah, you are. Bridget Jones's diary. That doesn't sound right to me. Well, I know it's right. It just doesn't sound right. The actress who plays Natasha is Bridget Moynihan. So there's lots of Bridgets being thrown around. Yes. Imbeth Davids. Yeah, Imbeth. Well, she has quite a name. Yeah, she's Natasha in Bridget Jones' diary. Wait. Her character in Bridget Jones' diary yes! named Natasha. Fuck off. I literally, the Matrix just erupted. Because <laughs> I just got confused again. Because I was like, yeah, she is Natasha. And you're and like, Natasha, hey. and Natasha's actual name is Bridget. That is not right. <laughs> what? Wait, Natasha in Sex and the City. Yes. Holy shit. Her name is Bridget Moynihan. And in Bridget Jones' Diary, Natasha is played by Embeth, and I thought Embeth was in... Sex and the City, so... Okay, we so were we were not right. off. Just <laughs> 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 so, so to wrap all that up, we were right. <laughs> so, so long story short, Ms. Honey is actually in Sex and the City. <laughs> And this is just an... She just, like, moved out of the city to be a teacher for a little bit. I can't wait to write the fan fiction of Miss Honey and the Sex in the City universe. <laughs> so, anyway, we... Oh. As we were saying, humor. <laughs> as humor. we were saying, dolphins. As we were saying... As we were saying... As we were slapstick. saying... Slapstick. 
Slapstick. Slapstick is also one of my favorite Michael Jackson demos. It is mm. so good. It's on YouTube. I ripped it because I had to have it, and I don't sure. trust YouTube. But mm-hmm. it is... Talk about some dense, condensed harmonies. It sounds to me like if you had like a handful of crayons mm. or like markers and like like just had a, all of them in your hand ready to color and just started coloring really fast on a piece of paper. And that's how dense it feels to me. It's so cool. I love that. Yeah, I read this quote to Lindley earlier and I fucking nailed it and I was pissed. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm not gonna be able to do that again. Because when, okay, the word before dopamine, dopaminergic is mesocorticolimbic. Uh huh. So like, I'm not only doing fucking gymnastics <laughs> over dopaminergic. I'm literally throwing my ass in a circle <laughs> to say this other word. I know it's impossible. Like I, I'm not, I'm not a scientist, but. <laughs> I know how to pronounce science words because I'm not stupid. <laughs> so, however, let me, while, while we're here, let me read how I thought you said dopaminergic. I knew how to say it without listening to it being said, but my brain mm-hmm. was just, like, not allowing me to remember that one. Right. So here, here's how you pronounce dopaminergic if you're an idiot. Right. Dopaminergic. Dopaminogrek. Dopamine jerk, dopamine jerk, dual leap merger, dope man energy, damp Jerry neck. So damp Jerry neck, damp dual, Jerry neck, dual leap merger. Luckily, you never have to say that word again now. No, so I'm gonna just... say it so often now because I I think it's such a great word. You're just gonna work it into your regularly scheduled. Programming of vocabulary. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that hit my dopaminergic system in a type of way. Damn, when something felt <laughs> that off, girl. When something makes me laugh, that's what I'm going to say. Oh, my God, that rewarded me. My dopaminergic system is system. My dopaminergic system is a flight. <laughs> that's what I'll say. Hell, yeah. That, that's how that. I'll find a husband. <laughs> You're right. Step one to to luring in a man, scare him with big words. Mm-hmm, they love <laughs> Im- that. Immediately hit him with a mesocorticolimbic. See how that. <laughs> see how, see that how goes. the second date goes. <laughs> so I'm here to talk to you about mesocorticolimbic dopaminergic systems. <laughs> like, where do you sit with that as it pertains to your reward systems and like? you know, your salience processing. I'm just trying to see if we vibe. (laughs) And he's just like, we haven't even ordered a drink, you stupid bitch. (laughs) Stop. Honestly, I may lead with that on the non-existent dates I will go on. You should. Um, Let's, let's trans, well, we need to do the gratitude and the games. Okay, go for it. One sentence, one liner. What are you grateful for? Let's go. Oh, no, you were going to go first. Oh, one sentence, one liner. What am I grateful for? Let's go. <laughs> I um, I just want to take a brief moment to say I'm thankful for my parents, my mom and dad. They're, I'm so lucky I have both of them. I'm even more lucky in the age of divorce that they are still together. Um, and their unwavering uh, support 
for me in their own special ways and thanks that's that's nice that's a nice sentiment i am grateful for full service coffee which is the coffee shop down the street from me. Not an ad, unless they want it to be. Not an ad, just a shout out, just a <laughs> support local shout out, because they've, I've been ordering food and things from them just to help keep my kitchen sustained. And every time I order from them, they write me such a nice little note and put hearts on my bag. And they're just, they've been so kind. And it's been a nice little feeling of humanity during all of this just having that connection with with the people nearby and I appreciate them so that's my shout out and they're keeping me caffeinated from time to time hell yeah gas in the tank yep cool thank you coffee and thank you parents thanks (laughs) anyway (laughs) um so let's do our word game. Okay, um, I think who's going first? You read to me first this time. Wink. I. Faith. Nose. What? Wiggle. Did you say f- what? I said faith. Oh, I thought you said face. I said faith a... like Faith Hill. Oh, God. So faith. I thought you said face like what's on your head. No, I said faith like faith. Okay. Do you want to say a different word? No. I, you said faith and I said God. You said nose. But then you said faith and I, then I said, oh, God. Oh, I thought you were reacting. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I, well, that was my word. All right, hold on. This is a train wreck. Let's start from... Fuck it. Wiggle. Worm. Vice. News. Yes. Wildcat. Whiskers. Cute. Okay, I'm leaving all that stupid bullshit in. That was (laughs) maniac energy. That was a mess. (laughs) I swear to God, that was like Abbott and Costello. That was like fully. We were doing who's on first. Well, wait. What was the first word you said? Wink. Wink, and then I said I. So then you said faith, and I thought you said face. I think I just had the anatomy of a human head in mind. And then when you said oh God, I thought you were like oh my God, I'm. (laughs) No, I was saying oh comma God. Okay. We did our best. Your turn. (laughs) Okay. Hello. Goodbye. (laughs) Tap. Dance. Super. Star. Old. Lady. New. Lady. (laughs) (laughs) Old lady, new lady. Um, Take your pick. Is it a boy or a girl? It's a new lady. It's a new little lady. That tickles me. That's like calling a baby a gentleman. <laughs> you have a, a gentleman or a new lady. <laughs> okay, let's do the stats. Count it down. Okay. Three, two, one. Silly. Serious. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. 
Why don't you go first with your story right. stat? Bears live up to 30 years in the wild and up to 47 years in captivity. It's not very silly, but it's just interesting. <laughs> what was the animal? Bears. Bears. I thought you said deers at first. I don't know why I'm having a hard time hearing the words. Maybe I don't know how to enunciate. Maybe I'm just a piece of shit and I can't talk anymore. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no. Wait, no. what is that from where they're like, uh, uh, uh. Oh, family guy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, uh. So um, bears. But if you do find a picture of a bear, the animal in the wild with no hair on it, it's pretty scary looking and it really disrupts what I thought a bear. Because like, when you think of a bear, do you think of them as, like, a dog or a cat? I think of a dog. Yeah, you'd be wrong. They look like fucking demons without fur. So, anyway. Damn. My stat is that. So, what I learned is that women are 50.8% of the U.S. population. But they only represent... 24% of members of Congress. So I just want to let that res- that representation sit with everyone. So what you're saying is we are only represented by a quarter of, right. of what should be half. So we obviously have touched on this a lot in this conversation tonight, and that, that just firms it up for you a little bit. Doesn't work for me. And we need to vote. <laughs> <Badly>. <laughs> 24%. That's my serious stat. I'll I don't even want to. I don't even. We don't have to get into it. We can just leave it there for the people. Marinate on that. Marinate your mind. Okay. Okay. So say something no one's ever said before. Okay. I'll go first. Okay. Okay. I. What I said as my something has never. Oh my God. (laughs) What I said for my something no one has ever said before is for fun, every weekend, Tony Hawk roller skates the entire Mason Dixon line. He has homes in (laughs) Delaware and Ohio. (laughs) There you have it. You heard it here first. The way you deliver these is like it's true. It is. It's the point. It's supposed to be convincing. It's not the point. The point What's, is whatever what you want is it to the be. Point? Okay, well, then it is the point for me. Yeah, so just a reminder of where this came from, this game. I literally used to make my brother say the weirdest shit that I knew no one had ever said before. I would just be like, Joe, say this. Because he was little, and I, it cracked me up hearing him say shit. Right. So that's where that came from. So it can be pure nonsense, or it can be something that you want to deliver as fact. So that's how I'm going with it. I really love that you make bullshit facts because <laughs> I, I hear them and I'm like, that has to be true. Yeah. Tony Hawk has to roller skate the Mason Dixon line every weekend for fun. <laughs> so I struggled with this, which is like, how, <laughs> how, how is that possible? Right. And then this morning I woke up and had an entire dialogue with myself about Mm -hmm. (laughs) about a scene I would have initiated uh in my improv show had it happened about a prom where (laughs) I would have stepped out and been like mom I'm not wearing this dress again and of course scene partner would step in and be like 
you know, what, what's wrong with it? Whatever they would say. I'm like, it's literally made of dried meat. Like, I get it. We are butchers and it's always meat first, meat always. But I don't think I need to wear a meat dress. I'm not Lady Gaga. So, like, that's me. Imagine me rolling out of bed, opening my curtains, and this is what's happening in my head. And I was really yeah. disappointed that I couldn't play with that meat dress idea. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I am now looking at pictures of Lady Gaga in the meat dress. So I'm, I'm along for this oh, ride. Oh, man. And, and I also thought of that well, because... Go ahead. No, I mean, I didn't know she wore meat shoes also. I'm seeing that now. Oh, I, we don't know. You know what we need to talk about more is the meat shoes. Those are wild. Everyone's all meat dress, meat dress, meat dress. <laughs> We're out here saying, what about meat shoes? <laughs> we are. We're having the hard conversations that no one wants to talk about. Anyway, so yes, my, thing is, my thing is, <clears throat> hold on. I actually had two things, and they're both not done, so I'm going to try to put them together. Are you a stinky little bass clarinet from hell? Hi, I'm Dr. Somersault, and I am here with the Daily Kneecap Report. Oh, my God. That was two separate <laughs> thoughts that I figured out how to put together. A dirty little bass clarinet, is that what you said? No. <laughs> I, said, I said, are you a stinky little bass clarinet from hell? Stinky, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> that word... Like fucks me up. The word stinky. I oh my god. <laughs> Especially when you say it back to me. It's <laughs> so funny to me. I think that's just about all we got. <laughs>